It was officially called the Denali Earthquake because its epicenter was 66 kilometers east-southeast of Denali National Park in Alaska, the 49th state in the United States. Hi, I'm Chris May, host of This Day in Weather History, brought to you by the Royal Canadian Mint. Find the new painted dime featuring blue nose in your change. Today we look back at the 2002 Denali earthquake, this day in weather history. The bad news with this was its timing. Occurring at basically quarter after 1 p.m., you were guaranteed that everyone was up and around. The good news is that due to the remoteness of the epicenter's location, there were no fatalities and only a few injuries. Its depth was shallow enough for its shock to be registered as far away as Seattle, and it generated seiches, or standing waves, in enclosed or partially enclosed bodies of water as far away as Texas and New Orleans. These standing waves can be more powerful than others, as was the case in Washington State where about 20 houseboats were damaged by a seiche on the lake. And again, because it hit in the middle of the afternoon, wherever it registered, it was felt by a population. The earthquake registered 7.9 magnitude. It was the largest quake recorded in the United States since the 1965 Rat Islands earthquake. That is a cool name. And that concussion upon eruption was the strongest ever recorded in the interior of Alaska. But were there warning signs? You're listening to This Day in Weather History, a podcast from the Weather Network in Canada, reminding you to check your chain for the new painted dime featuring Blue Nose from the Royal Canadian Mint. 11 days prior, on October 23, 2002, there was a 6.7 magnitude earthquake located on the Denali Fault. So any other quake registering a lower magnitude would be considered an aftershock. But because of its occurrence, as close as it was to the November 3rd event in date and location, this earthquake is regarded as a foreshock and was concluded to have likely been the catalyst that probably directly triggered the main shock that we're talking about today. The epicenter of the November 3rd quake was located only 25 kilometers or 16 miles east of where the October 23rd foreshock occurred. Then, on the 3rd, the initial rupture was on a thrust fault segment to the south of the Denali Fault. A TFS is also known as a dip and slip fault where the upper block above the fault plane moves up and over the lower block. That is the actual movement that resonates at the surface as an earthquake. But these don't always happen just once and then recede. This initial rupture then jumped to the main Denali fault strand moving or what they call propagating for 220 kilometers or 137 miles before jumping again onto the Tatshunda Fault and ripping for another 70 kilometers or 43 miles of fault plane. When this was eventually fully analyzed and measured, the total surface rupture was calculated to have been 340 kilometers or 211 miles. In that sequence of dipping and slipping, minor damage was reported over a wide area as was to be expected. The only examples of severe damage happened on the highways that crossed the fault trace and areas that suffered liquefaction. And several bridges were also damaged, but none so severely that they were actually closed to traffic. But there was, of course, the concern for the critical Trans-Alaska Pipeline System, 
TAPS is a statewide oil transportation system that includes not just the Trans-Alaska crude oil pipeline, but also 11 pump stations, several hundred miles of pipelines that feed in and from it, plus the Valdez Marine Terminal. TAPS is one of the largest pipeline systems in the world, but it also crosses the path of the rupture trace. TAPS suffered some minor damage to its supports, but experienced no oil spillage. Just like our October 17th podcast episode where I outlined how building codes were enforced for constructions in earthquake-prone San Francisco, the same was obviously enforced for something as critical and ecologically devastating as a major oil pipeline system. And with that in mind, and because the pipeline did lie along fault lines, this very marvel of engineering was designed to move laterally along beams to withstand major movement on the Denali Fault. But to be proactive, the pipeline was shut down for three days to allow for inspections and then subsequently reopened. All's well that ends well, I suppose, even after an almost eight magnitude earthquake that happened on this day in weather history. Tomorrow is November 4th, and we will be featuring our seventh and final World Series podcast in our Fall Classic Series on World Series weather. You do not want to miss tomorrow, because for this World Series weather finale, we get two weather stories, dust and rain. How do these two go together? That story is tomorrow on This Day in Weather History with me, your host, Chris May, and brought to you by the Royal Canadian Mint. Find the new painted dime featuring Blue Nose in your change. See you tomorrow.